I went home last week after church. That's okay, we'll wait. We'll wait. Get them all. This one is running, running, running. If anyone sees a little tiny one with lots of pigtails, it belongs to this mama who's also running, running, running. Last week I went home later in the day because we had an afternoon appointment and I found my spouse sleeping, taking a nap. We hadn't had a lot of time to talk together in the afternoon. So I tapped him on the shoulder and woke him up, Kirby. I woke him up from a dead sleep and he sat up on the couch and said, what do you really think happened between Moses and God on Sinai? Do you think that's what the conversation was? I mean, it is mind-blowing to imagine. God is God. He doesn't have to take instructions from Moses. Why was God reluctant? Why did God change God's mind? Why is God listening to Moses? He's a shepherd. Did you know this was one of my favorite stories? You knew this when we dated, right? I love this story, Moses and Sinai. What do you think really happened up there? Mind-blowing. And then he laid down and went back to sleep. (laughs) We don't always know if y'all are listening to the pastors, but we know our families are. (laughs) So during Pastoral Appreciation October, thank you for all you gave the pastors and thank you pastoral families for being our people. (laughs) We thank you pastoral families. Mind-blowing, my spouse says. God changed God's mind. Full stop. We should just not have church until we figure this one out. So I want to pause. We have been in this series now for the month. We, we end today. Who is this God your life is aimed towards? What is the name of this God? We use the three-letter word, G-O-D, as some kind of claim to Intimacy. Just tell us your name, Moses, in the burning bush. Tell me your name because then I'll know who you are. Your character can be known by your name. I am that I am. I am who I will be, Moses, not who you want me to be. That's what happens at the burning bush. Who is this God our life is aimed towards church? Isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy the variety of ideas we all have about who God is and the ways we've inherited these ideas, some of our ideas about God we've left behind, some of them we have yet to interrogate and decide if they belong. Who is the God your life is aimed towards? It is one of the large critiques of the Christian faith today in 2018 that the reason God is so unpopular in the world is because the God Christianity has offered the world. Which is why we've been reflecting this month, who is the God we love? The critique, of course, is that we assign God all of our own passions. We know what God is like and what God loves because we know what we're like and what we love. We know God's gender and we know God's race and we know God's nation and we know God's denomination. We know God loves the Sabbath and big franks, right? Or Korean food or enchiladas, right? We know what God is like, the critique. We create God in our own image. Who is this God we've been asking? Can we revisit the scene from last week, the mind-blowing scene for my husband, Exodus chapter 32? Because I've not been able to lay it down this week. 
Remember, this, this is difficult reading, sometimes choppy reading in, in these chapters in Exodus. Two scenes, up at Sinai, at the base of Sinai, up at the top, at the bottom, and the camera goes back and forth. The storyteller goes back and forth. We know Moses told them he's going up to the top to talk with God. He's left someone in charge in case there's a problem. We know a cloud covered Mount Sinai, and it's dark, and when the people look up, they can't see anything. Moses is supposed to be gone 40 days, and he's late. Up on top, we know Moses is deep into conversation with God about the details of the tabernacle. This is fantastic because if we can build God a building, we'll always be able to find God. You want to know where God is? We'll just go out there to that tabernacle. God's there. It's a brilliant solution when you can't find your God, build your God a thing. That's what Moses and God are working on at the top of Mount Sinai. And he's late And you know that they get restless down below, so they tell Aaron, make us something. We need a God. They take their jewelry off. It's always the jewelry. They throw the jewelry in the fire. And remember, we read the text last week. Aaron said, Moses, don't be mad at me. A a golden calf just jumped out of the fire. Aaron makes him a calf because a calf is familiar. It reminds them of home, of Egypt. And the people can calm down. This is when Moses comes down the mountain and he sees what's happening down below. Moses has the Ten Commandments in his hands. He throws them down. They, they break into pieces. Now remember, these are the Ten Commandments that say, thou shall have no other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. That the children of Israel don't even have the commandments in their hands yet. We call this story of the golden calf that the day they broke the commandment, they made a graven image. They don't even have the commandments in their hands yet. Moses smashes the commandments. He melts down the calf. He sprinkles the gold in the water. He makes them drink the water. And now we're ready for the weird part. Then something happens. This is what I want to read to you today. Then something happens. Exodus chapter 32 and verse 26. God's, Moses stands in front of the people and says, and by the way, today we are reading from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. Eugene Peterson, beloved to so many, is the Message Bible your translation, your paraphrase? Today we're reading from Eugene Peterson's words as he died on Monday. Eugene Peterson says, Moses stood up now at this point in front of the people and said, whoever's on God's side, join me. All the Levites stepped up. He told them, God orders, the God of Israel orders this, strap on your swords and go to work. Crisscross the camp from one end to the other. Kill brother, kill friend, kill neighbor. And 3,000 people die this day. 3,000 Israelites die this day. We read all of this story last week, those of you who were here, when Moses was up, up top talking with God on Sinai. You remember that part. Do you remember this instruction? Do you remember God saying to Moses, and when you get down there, have them pick up sword against each other and brother and friend? And listen, I want to read right now the portion of that scene at the top of Mount Sinai, you tell me when I get to the part where God gives the instruction to Moses to kill. When we get there, stop me. Just shout it out from wherever you're at, all right? 
We'll read several verses from Exodus 32. This is God and Moses up at the top when God has caught wind that there's a party going on down below and a bull going on down below. And God says to Moses, go, get down there. The people you brought up from the land of Egypt, they've fallen to pieces. In no time at all, they've turned from the way I commanded them. They've made a molten calf and they're worshiping it. They've sacrificed to it. They're saying, these are the gods, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. God said to Moses, I looked at these people, oh, what a stubborn, hard-headed people. Last week we talked about the stiff-necked people, correct? Let me alone now, God says to Moses, give my anger free reign to burn into flames and incinerate them, but it will make a gr- I'll make a great nation out of you, Moses. Have you heard the instruction yet? Moses tried to calm his God down. He said, why God, why would you lose your temper with your people? Why? You brought them out of Egypt in a tremendous demonstration of power and strength. Why let the Egyptians say of you, oh, this God, he brought them out in here so he could kill them in the mountains. Wipe them right off of the face of the earth. Don't, let the, don't get embarrassed by the Egyptians. Stop your anger. Think twice, Moses tells God. Think twice about bringing evil to your people. Think of Abraham and Isaac and Israel and the servants to whom you gave your word, your word, telling them, I will give you children, I will bless you. Moses tells God, think twice. And God did think twice. He decided not to do the evil he had threatened against his people. Moses turned around and came down the mountain. Did you hear the instruction in there? Did anybody hear the instruction from Moses to tell Tell the people to grab their swords and brother against brother, neighbor against neighbor, Israelite against Israelite. At the end of this day, 3,000 people are dead. And there is blood on the hands of Moses and those with the swords. I didn't read that part of the story, friends. I have learned that sometimes leaders have irreparably, irreparably damaging days. Not bad days, not frustrating days, not so-so days or discouraging days, not, you know, all, all worked up kinds of days, not just kind of the stuff we deal with. I'm, I'm driving my Honda around. I'm trying to sell my 2014 Honda. This is not a plug. I'm trying to sell my Honda. There's the phone number and the for sale sign. Every day I'm driving it. Every day I get three, four, five, six text messages. How much for your car? How much for your car? How much for your car? I'm driving over here on Arlington last week. Honk, honk, honk. Some guy pulls in front of me, little pulls in front of me. I pull off into a gas station. I'm like, what? How much for your car? 11,000. I got 6,500 cash now. You want it? Is 6,500 11,000? No, I don't want it. It's like when I go to try on shoes literally last winter, I want to try on these boots. The salesperson says, what size do you wear? Six and a half. Great, I've got them in a nine. I'll bring them out. You want to try? No? Like it seems like I've had a lot of those days the last couple of weeks. Now I'm getting these text messages about my Honda and I just say no before they even ask me how much it costs. Just never mind, it's not for sale anymore. It's not that kind of a bad day Moses had. It's irreparably damaging. Sometimes 
leaders have irreparably damaging days, trauma, wounds, bleeding, life will forever be changed. This is what happens when Moses stands before the people and orders them to kill each other. The text doesn't tell us why. Why did Moses say do this? Is, is it Moses' frustration? Is it transferred frustration on behalf of God because Moses just talked God off the cliff? Is it because Moses is embarrassed how these people have behaved and he can't handle his embarrassment? What he needed was a counselor. Why does Moses do that? Is this because this is what you do in ancient times when people mistreat their gods? You just kill a few of them. The text, the storyteller doesn't tell us why Moses chose to do this. Why 3,000 people are dead at the end of this day. If this is the case, that this is how it's going to go, it will be difficult for God to keep God's promise. God's promises to bless the entire nation. They will be dead before they get to the promised land. There is a new way they're going to learn to line their life up with this God, the I am who I am, the I will be who I will be, not who you want me to be. There is a new way out in the wilderness at the base of Sinai. God promised to make them a kingdom of priests, a holy nation on the way to the land flowing with milk and honey. But now at Sinai, they've taken a step back. They don't go back to Egypt, friends, but that little promise is off the table for a while. So the Levites become the priests. They stand in for authority. They check the people. They begin to make the rules and more rules and codes and layers of accountability. While God has been working with wide open possibilities, Moses digs deep into the policies. And there's a policy for everything now because of what happened at the base of Sinai. Read the book of Leviticus. Why? Why did it have to go this way? Because God's covenant partners get a little jumpy out in the middle of the desert. We've been saying for two or three weeks, how do you get the slavery out of the people? You take the people out of slavery. How do you get the slavery out of the people? How do you get it out of the leader? Because it seems like even for Moses, God's goodness is too much. A God that will change God's minds and wander with these people. Even Moses is resistant to this God. Now let me pause just now. In the book of Exodus, we've been raised, most of us have been raised Christian with a Bible open. In the book of Exodus, most Christians would say there's something very important in the book of Exodus we ought not miss. What would that be? I heard it from the front row. You whispered it. What is it? The Ten Commandments. Thank you, Dr. Sutter. Most Christians would say the big news in the, ten, in the Exodus is the Ten Commandments. I read uh, Bishop Shelby Spung this week describe, an Episcopal bishop, describe one day when he asked his congregation, do you all believe the Ten Commandments are still valid for today? And he asked them to raise their hands. Church, let me ask you, do you believe the commandments are still important and valid today? Raise your hand if you do. So then Bishop Spung said, he walked out into the middle of the people and said, that's good. I'm glad you all believe that the Ten Commandments are a valid moral ethical code. Since we believe they're so valid and they're so central to our life, who here would like to stand and tell me the ten? 
Who here, La Sierra, would like to stand and tell us the 10? Like a few weeks ago, a child's gonna do this. Does anybody know the Ten Commandments? Born and raised with the Bible open, weren't you? I was. We're the Christians who get upset every time they, they say they're gonna take the Ten Commandments out of courthouses and public squares. We're those people. So somebody here today can tell me the Ten Commandments. Where's your hand? I'm watching for you. Where was it, you see? In, in Espanol? Uh, Elvin and Lynette, you check her, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. We love her, right? She just volunteered. Go for it. Tell me, one, tell me the ones you know. Okay, somebody translate. That was number four. Remember the Sabbath day? That's one. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. Do we know that one? Do we know the fourth one? You're Adventist Christians, right? Somebody else shout out one more that you know. Yeah, usually adultery comes up really quick. And usually murder comes up really quick. That should not steal. Honor your parents. Fantastic. Keep going. No false witness. Don't bear false witness. Keep going. No coveting. Fantastic. No other God. Guys, put them on the screen. You shall, let's say them together. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven images. You shall not take the name of God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Thou shalt not covet. It turns out, I want to offer an opinion now. We have cared deeply about the Ten Commandments, but I want to suggest to you today, the Ten Commandments might not be the ground-shaking, most important part of the book of Exodus, because the Ten Commandments are for ex-slaves who've just come out of Egypt. This is their life today in their world. In their life today, if they could just live by these, this code of ethics, they can start to swing in line and sync with Yahweh, but church, these codes are the bare minimum. Look again. You shall uh, not kill. That says nothing about how to honor life well. We shall not commit adultery. Says nothing about how to cherish the one we are with. You shall not have bear false witness against your neighbor. Says nothing about how to speak words of hope and life into people, right? Am I right? These are bare minimums, but we know there'll be a graduate level that comes from Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the high watermark of ethics. I think it turns out to me, maybe the Ten Commandments, not the ground-shaking thing that happens in Exodus, in the book of Exodus. Here is a God planting God's self alongside an ex-slave tribe, deciding how they will do life together. 
When we read that Moses orders killing at the base of the mountain and 3,000 people are dead, how many of you didn't know that little episode, by the way? Turns out the um, Jewish historian Josephus edits that right out of his antiquities. It doesn't make the telling of many Christian churches. God and Moses and, and the Egyptian released slaves now, slaves free from Egypt, are enmeshed in a world of violence. Finding their way forward will be difficult. And this is how our story goes, with a God enmeshed in violence with these people. He gives them these commandments, thou shalt not kill, even while killing is going on by Moses. So the tension in this story doesn't get resolved in 22 minutes like a Netflix episode. This is big trauma in the story. Some leaders have irreparably damaging days. And this is who God is learning to work with, this Moses. We should be careful of people who think they know the will of God. I want to say that this morning. I think while we've been here, there's been some kind of attack in a synagogue in some part of the country with some trauma this morning. We should be careful. People who claim, Barbara Brown Taylor says, people who claim to know the mind of God and they are prepared to use force, if necessary, to make others conformed. We should beware those who cannot tell God's will from their own. Temple police are always a bad sign, she says. Did you know on this little story with Moses and the slaughtering of 3,000 Israelites, so much bloodshed has been justified in the Christian tradition. I find there's something more important going on than the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. The more important going on is God showing the people who God is going to be to them. I am who I am, I am who I will be. Watch my actions. Here's a quick summary from the book of Exodus. If we were to do a survey, Exodus chapter two, God says to the Israelites, they groaned under slavery and they cried out and God listened to their groanings. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw what, God, what was going on with Israel. God understood. Here we see a God that has a history and a God that understands. Exodus chapter three, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. Yes, again, a God with a history. I heard your cry for deliverance from slave masters. I know about your pain. Here's a God with empathy. Exodus chapter six, God says, I will release you, I will save you, I will redeem you, I will take you as my people. God who is willing to work overtime. Exodus 20, I am your God, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a life of slavery. Here's a God with a recent episode. Exodus 34, this is God and Moses now. God describes himself as God, a God of mercy and grace, endlessly patient. So much love, so deeply true, loyal in love for a thousand generations, forgiving inequity, rebellion, and sin. Still, God doesn't ignore skin, sin. This is God's self-description of who God is. And what's new in this last one is the God who, who comes with mercy, forgiveness, and patience. If the people don't know they have a God of mercy, forgiveness, and patience, it might be because there's a leader who's blocked the view. I wanna name this today because all of us are the leader of something. 
If people don't know that God is merciful, it might be that I've blocked the view. If people don't know that God is forgiving, it might be that I forgot to say that part of the story. If people don't know that God is patient, it might be, church, that we took the lens off God for a while. The groundbreaking thing happening in the book of Exodus is God describing who God is to the people. Leaders have irreparably damaging days. Yes, they do. Yes, we do. And God still walks with us. It is 2018 now. We began this sermon series with this reflection. In 2018, a useful faith requires conversations like this, not declarations. In 2018, it's important for us to know it has not ended well when Christianity told people to obey rather than understand. Because people in 2018 are searching for something intellectually honest and worth their emotional energy. In 2018, if you feel like as a Christian, you're sitting behind the customer service counter trying to defend, discourage customers who got a God they didn't like, it could be because of us. It's Will Alexander over in Loma Linda who said, for all these years, God does not need a prosecuting attorney. God needs a witness. Church, what's our witness? I wanna ask you, who is this God towards whom your life is directed? Have you thought about it recently? Have you talked about it with other people? Are you in a study group, a class here, a group that meets in your home? We suggested some books during this series. Grab one of these books. Can I name them again? If you prefer a younger author, pick up Rachel Held Evans, her book, Unraveled Faith. When she tries to take the pieces out and put them on the table and imagine again a God that makes sense. Go ahead and pick up Alden Thompson's book in its fifth edition now. Who's Afraid of the Old Testament God? Or Rabbi Harold Kushner, Nine Lessons I've Learned. He puts it all out on the table and imagines late in life now, what does he know about God? The big news for me in the book of Exodus is this. The big news for me is that faith cannot be forced. Genuine faith God will not force. This is a God of possibilities. The people at the base of Sinai are as big of a mess as the people were at Noah and the ark and the flood. And God sees all of that and God still chooses to walk in the world with his creatures. It's Rabbi Kushner who says, the world is also not yet as God hopes for it to be. So I'm going to give God the benefit of the doubt. You look around the world and you see a mess, Kushner says, yeah, so do I. We humans have done irreparable damage in the world God so loves. But if God can go with the people, these people, Krishner says, I can go with God. I sense myself right there. If God can go with us, I can go with God. We will survive this, not, friends, because we have stamina, but because God does. Who is the God? 
towards whom your life is devoted. Amen.